But what they did is they used, so put it naturally, these kind of buildings, they go in a corporation because of, because of investors and because of liability and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, but then I needed to provide two properties as collateral. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey guys, I have a great guest today, Mike Beer, a real estate investor in the multifamily realm. We're talking today about scaling your portfolio, using investors' money and partnerships, how he actually got the worst tenant he's ever seen, and much more. And I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. But before we do that, Dahlia, what do we need to know in today's financing world? What is the tip of the week? Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. Will putting a rental in a corporation impact your financing? And will that mortgage show up on your credit report? Firstly, to make the most informed decision about whether or not to incorporate and when to incorporate, please speak with your trusted accountant as the rules are not black or white. From a financing standpoint, the implications of putting a rental in a corporation differ depending on whether we're talking about residential versus commercial properties. For residential properties that are one to four units, here are the implications and what you need to be aware of. Number one, many lenders who offer residential mortgage approvals in a corporation will not offer a secured line of credit on the property. This means that If the time comes for you to take out equity from that property, your only option would be to take it out through a mortgage, through a complete refinance, where with a line of credit, the nice thing about it is that you don't pay anything until you use the money versus with a mortgage, you pay principal and interest payment from day one. Secondly, lenders consider a corporation a higher risk borrower and therefore they may add what's called a risk premium. That translates into a higher interest rate for you. Thirdly, putting a residential rental in a corporation with an A lender does not guarantee it will not show up on your credit report. With B lenders, however, it is very, very unlikely for it to show up on your credit report if it is in a corporation. Lastly, putting the residential property in a corporation does not mean that the lender will look at the approval as a business and will not qualify you personally for the deal or will not ask for your personal guarantees. Generally, properties that are one to four units get approved under a a residential mortgage regardless of whether or not um, they are held in a corporation. This means that the approval will rely primarily on your personal income and, and, and on your personal debts Unless you have a large residential portfolio in a corporation and you have maxed out with the residential lenders, the lenders can look at the deal under the commercial guidelines. And in that case, they would look at the portfolio as if it's a business based on its net operating income. For commercial properties or properties that are five units or more, putting a rental in a corporation actually works to your advantage because in the commercial world, Working with corporations is the norm. Something you need to be aware of in in commercial financing 
that a corporation serves you well for is something called the General Security Agreement, the GSA, which is the equivalent of a personal guarantee in the residential world. By having your commercial asset in a corporation, you shield all assets that are not part of that corporation from the General Security Agreement. This is something, however, you should talk to your lawyer about. Also, with a commercial mortgage in a corporation, do you think it will show up on your credit report? The answer is no, most of the time, unless the lender registers something called a PPSA, which is a Personal Property Security, Security Act. With some lenders, you do have the option to ask them not to register a PPSA. And in that case, that mortgage is unlikely to show up on your credit report. To discuss the right financing strategy for your portfolio and the implications on financing using a corporation given your own personal plans, feel free to reach out to my team at Streetwise Mortgages for a complimentary planning session at info at streetwisemortgages.com or streetwisemortgages.com. Awesome, Dahlia. That is great. Thank you so much. And guys, we just started actually the midterm rental course. It's a five-week course. We just finished uh, the time I'm recording this intro, the first class. If you are interested in a different strategy, this is a five-week class. You could probably still join and watch the recording from the first class, but uh, it is a ton of content. If you are interested in pivoting, creating a little bit more control for yourself, a little bit more cash flow as well. And this might be the course for you. And if you're not into short-term or you're thinking maybe there's going to be some bylaws, which I think there's going to be for the short-term rental market, this midterm is that nice spot in between not going long-term and not going short-term. I mean, you could still do it combo with short-term, but uh, it is uh, quickly becoming one of my favorite rental types of strategies. I have lots of real estate strategies I love, but from a renting perspective, especially for rent-controlled units, uh, if you are living somewhere renting or rather your properties are somewhere where there is rent control, then this could be a great strategy. Anyways, if you want some more information on that, check out my website, sarahlarby.com. Or if you want to know how you can hire us to manage your rental portfolio with the midterm strategy or parts of it, reach out to us as well. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast with Mike Beer. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing great. Excited about the podcast and then ready to, to have a good conversation and, and share some info. Amazing. Awesome. So before we recorded, you you mentioned that you had an awesome deal under contract, 16 plus units, and you're and you're making big things happen. So you are definitely an experienced investor, but give us a little bit of background on, on who you are and, and what it is that you do and, and the strategy. So, so essentially, I, I think I started a little slow, I would say. So my family, we came from, we actually, the story is we escaped from communist Poland and I'll tell you how, how we did that. So, so I remember being a kid and, and it was, nobody could leave and you couldn't even get a passport, right? So I, we went to the passport office with my mom and my dad used to be a chief engineer in a cargo ship. So I remember us bringing in like a kilogram of coffee to to kind of bribe the lady to 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 speed up and then get us the passports right and then we finally we finally got those passports and my parents told me we're going on vacation to to Norway and me and my sister I was 10 years old and 
And then halfway through the trip, they said, you know what? We're actually not coming back. Like, this is a not a vacation. We're moving forever. (laughs) So how did you handle that? How how old were you? I was 10. Okay. I was kind of nervous. My sister was crying because she left her boyfriend Mm. uh, back in Poland. (laughs) So uh, that's what 16-year-olds do, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, uh, it turned out to be pretty good. We stayed there for a year and then they basically decided, said, uh, you guys got to go somewhere else because we can't take you in. And then my parents applied to Canada and Australia, got got both. And then we decided to move to Canada because my father had one friend from university that lived in Canada. So that was the reason why I'm here. And And was it in <laughs> Ontario specifically that this friend lived? Yes, in Mississauga. Oh, okay. And then that's still where I am till today. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Okay, so so how did real estate come into play? You know what? I was I was later down the line. I was an executive at a global kind of IT company, and then I believed that paying off my mortgage was was the ideal thing. So I strived to pay off my mortgage mm-hmm. and then just be financially free. But when I paid off my mortgage, like what's next, right? So that's probably one of the bigger mistakes I've made. I've actually paid it off instead of investing early. But we met we we met up with a friend from university, my wife's friend, and he said, you know what? Oh, I actually I have 46 tenants. And I thought, 46 tenants, it just seemed like mind-blowing at the time. And I thought, I want to have 46 tenants tenants <laughs> so it turned out he was a realtor and an investor so we got together and then just nice. started buying like student properties so I refinanced my property and then used all that credit to go wild on on, on student and small <laughs> like rentals <laughs> nice nice so did you do that with him as the realtor with him as the partner he was a realtor he was a realtor I used my okay. own money Got it. So he, so you were doing your deals, not joint venturing or any of that stuff. It was essentially your portfolio fully. Right. And the first property we looked at was a triplex. It was actually a fourplex. And then he said, you know what? We're just learning. This is just for fun. I ended up buying it. Like the very first property we saw, I I guess I was a little bit overly eager. Right. And it turned out to be a bit of a mess. It was actually an illegal dwelling. So it was a legal triplex. But really, it had four units. So, so yeah. So, don't do that. And now, we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, are you looking for a reliable contractor for your next Burr multifamily conversion or flip project? Somebody who understands how to work with investors and also real estate investing itself. I've personally partnered with Lee Polak from Wise Construction. We're actively doing many projects together in Hamilton and Welland. So things like smaller three and four unit conversions and also some larger buildings where we're converting some large empty commercial spaces into residential units. And it's always been important to me to partner and hire a contractor who does not only high quality work, but is on time and on budget. And it's also a huge bonus that they have their own in-house trades, employees and a warehouse full of building materials so that they can avoid the many labor and material shortages that we hear about often these days. A good project done on time, on budget and with high quality work will be key to the success of your Burr multifamily conversion or flip projects. So to connect with Lee from Wise Construction, text or phone him at 416-525-5951. Again, that is 
525-5951. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Okay. All right. So you got the student rental and then like, how did you scale up? Like, was it one a year? Did you buy a bunch at the same time? You know what? At that point, we tried to we try to buy a little bit more of the student rentals because they seem to to cash quite a bit. I learned a lot what not to do on like with property managers and such. Like I went through I think four within a couple of years on mm-hmm. those properties. I had students throwing parties at my places, and one day I got a call that on a January I got a call saying your house is frozen. So what, what, what does that mean? My house is frozen. Mm-hmm. It turns out that the students in December, so two weeks earlier, they left the windows open and turned off the heat. Oh, no. On a student property. Oh, no. So what, like, what did, did you go and see what it looked like inside? So went in and we started, it took like two days or three days to warm it up. And then the pipes started bursting everywhere, oh, like no, the whole house, no. right? We, we try to work with the students and then the parents said, oh, it's not our fault, right? It's not the student's fault, right? <laughs> so, Of course, so nothing, people... nothing, nothing could be the fault of a child that leaves the, everything open and shuts the heat off. <laughs> so if you have students, you, you need like an electric or... or, or electronic thermostat I think you probably yeah exactly a smart thermostat now like you could likely be able to control the heat and just lock box right. it or something so we didn't have those at the time so we just put like one of those lock boxes around it afterwards so mm-hmm. we'll definitely do that I got a little bit of my money back but in the end it was just like a little bit of an expensive a, a, a learning experience definitely a seminar <laughs> yeah so I, I probably made every mistake you can you can make yeah. So, okay. So then you did that. And then let's fast forward to today. Like, what does your portfolio look like today? What's your strategy today? So, so later I got, I got into multifamily, like mixed use and and then residential. I think, I think the reason I was making all these mistakes and then, and then growing so slowly is because I thought I, I, I could outsmart the system that I could learn on the internet. I could just buy books right? Not pay for seminars, not pay for education, not get a mentor, right? Why do that? I mean, those people are suckers, right? So <laughs> so then what happened? I went to some real estate clubs and, and then just started paying for education. I got an amazing mentor, which, which had a very, very large portfolio. He was pretty expensive, I would say, but that means that's nothing compared to the gains and the learning. So completely turned that turned that around. So now buying essentially in three different cities in Kitchener, London, and Hamilton. In the last couple of years and few years, we've been buying like before that it was smaller multifamily, like seven, uh, seven-ish units, but now the 13, 17, and then and then another 16. So continue to kind of buy that size for now. Mm-hmm. So there's and lots of differences, all... right? Between the student rentals and, and multifamily and probably a bit of a learning curve along the line too. You know what? It's uh, it's completely different because when I was making these mistakes on the, on the student properties, I would cover the cash flow from one property to another. And then there wasn't really anything that would... Nothing happened to me that cost more than 10 grand, which I could cover at the time. Probably except for your like issues with all the pipes bursting. I don't know if, if that right. was 10 grand or like. 
<laughs> their insurance probably covered it, but that'd be a more than a $10,000 issue. <laughs> it ended up out of pocket and ended up costing 10,000. Okay. But that's with students pitching in and then, and then that kind of stuff. So, so, but the difference is on the bigger buildings, you really have to kind of, I, I, I learned that they have to be self-contained. Right. And especially now, since I have investors on, on the projects coming in, they, you can't just take money from one, one to the other and then move it around. Right. It has mm -hmm. to be planned. It has to be kind of methodical. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's, it's huge lesson. I, I underestimated how much work it is to have other people's money. I think it's not so when I had multifamily, I thought, you know what? Oh, it's going to be easy because everybody talks about, oh, I'll just use other people's money. It'll be great. First of all, it was uh, it was hard emotionally for me, I think, because I'm just by nature, very responsible integrity. So so I was worried about losing other people's money. So that's why it took a little longer to to kind of build up the track record with my own cash. Mm -hmm. Right. But then also the the education of the investors, I thought it was going to be maybe twice as much work. You know how some people have one kid and then you think they'll get the second one, it would just double the work. Right. I think it's a lot more, right? It's just, <laughs> yeah. that's like, <laughs> that's like that with- Well, you got to be more careful, right? Because all of a sudden, like you need to account for everything and just double, triple check everything. So it's just, I mean, it's, it's a different level of cautiousness, right? You're almost even more careful with other people's money because it's your reputation and your brand, you know, and if, you know, you make a small mistake on one of your properties, it's like no one really would know <laughs> except for you, <laughs> but it's different once you start bringing in other others into the deals. Oh, absolutely. You know what? Even I have some of my properties with my own money. They're always the secondary concern. Yeah. I look at yeah. them if I have time, maybe, mm -hmm. but then the ones with investors, it's, it's like quarterly, we got to release the reports. We got to mm -hmm. make sure the financials work. It's a, it's a totally, totally different game. How did you find your first one? Was it somebody that you knew prior? Your first investor? You know what? I, uh, yes. So it was someone that it was actually a family member. And I just came in with a no, no real pitch, basically said, Hey, can you lend me a bunch of money? Mm -hmm. right. So I was terrible at selling it, but because they knew my track record, they lent me a hundred thousand. Okay. So that was, and then kind of went, went from there. But then as I think, as I moved away from the immediate family, then it got harder and harder to and then it took longer to to kind of educate people. And then that's when I realized there's a brand that's needed and all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So so what about today? Like how are you so like this deal, for example, like how are you finding your investors? Are they are they friends or is it through social media channels? Is it through networking? Like who are the investors? I mean, I don't I don't need names, obviously, but like just like where are you meeting meeting them from for like the last deals or last deal or, or other deal prior to this? So, so I actually suck at raising money. I'll mm. tell you. Okay. And then my mentor told me this too. <laughs> okay. So he said, you're very good at finding deals. Okay. You're very good at putting the plan and then, and then actually executing on it. Yeah. But the raising of the capital, you need a partner, right? And I've been oh, resisting. Okay. Interesting. So did you bring uh, in a partner then to raise the capital for your deals? And then you and them are finding these partners or this money together? You know what? That's actually in the works. Okay. So I have 
couple potential partners, which I may bring in to raise capital, but for now I'm just doing it myself. So we're struggling uh, through it essentially. Or, or yeah, is it every okay. day? Okay. Okay. Like I'll do, I'll do anything in real estate. Right. So okay. I'm uh, going to real estate clubs, talking that's to good. people. That's awesome though. Through my you know investment. what? If you've got a good deal, ultimately, if you have a really good deal on the go, you'll likely attract the money. You network enough and you speak to enough people along the way. It's still a lot of work. I find. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't come for free, right? Like you gotta, you've got to give them reasons why to invest you know, in you or invest in, in whoever it is that's that's listening to this, that's, that's pitching because you have to bring your part to the table. They would bring their part, but it's like a, it's like a marriage, right? Like you're probably with them for bigger deals. At least, I'm guessing at least 10 years. But I would say that the toughest kind of raise was March, 2020. Mm. So yeah. just a week before they announced COVID, I, I got a property under contract. And of course, I started doing all the diligence, due diligence. Yeah. And this is so for apartment buildings, for people that don't know, sometimes you can end up in like twenty, thirty thousand dollars with due diligence. Mm-hmm. And the property was fine. I called my broker, which which said I was okay. He said, you know what? We're nobody's lending right now because it's March. We hit COVID. They're all scared. So and that was like probably the best time to find stuff if you could get the financing. <laughs> it was, but but in terms of getting investors on board, yeah. Did you close on it or did you did you have to let it go? You know what? There's so many issues that came about. First, oh, okay. uh, the financing, then the the environmental. So there's an environmental needed that didn't pass. So you did a phase one and then that failed. A- so you would have had to do a phase two. Did you do the phase two? I did the phase two. So can I ask how much you spent on the, because this is like when you're talking about closing costs, like let's, let's give them like an idea. So what was the cost of phase one? What was the cost of a phase two environmental? So phase one was uh, the typical kind of 3000. And then phase two, as far as I remember, it was probably like eight or nine on its own. But with phase two, they did. And then I spent money on a building condition report. So the inspection. So that's another three and a half thousand dollars. Right. And then we had the appraisal, which is fourth, which was for that particular building closer to 4,000. So and they can range. The like, I think we did seven grand on one not that long ago <laughs> for just right. an appraisal. So, and as is, and as complete, or yeah, as is, and as complete appraisal. So it's adding up. Yeah, um, it does. And then, so for environmental phase two, it actually failed too. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Are you looking to sell but don't want to move? Did you know that with Sell, Rent, Stay's program, you can get paid and remain in your home? Life sometimes throws curveballs at us where we need to access the cash tied up in our homes. With Sell, Rent, Stay, you can get access to your home's equity without the hassle of moving from the house you call your home. Sell, Rent, Stay works with each client on a case-by-case basis to determine the value to be paid for your home. To learn more, visit www.sellrentstay.com. And now back to the show. So if you have to go into phase three, that's like, what, like a hundred plus thousand dollars, potentially if they have to do like a soil remediation and stuff. Right. But what happened was they said, you know what, there was a gas station there in the seventies. Maybe we just got a bad sample. So I got them to resample the Mm. next week and then it passed. 
right? It did so or did not? It did, it oh. did. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't go to the $150,000 remediation. Well, I mean, at that point, you got to figure out if the deal's worth doing, right? Because right. That, that potential, that, kill, that kills a lot of deals. And and by the way, though, like if you, if you guys have a property under contract and there's already a phase one that's passed or phase one and then a phase two that's passed, like there's 20 grand, maybe not 20, but like close to 20 that you probably just saved right that right then and there having that paperwork. Right. Then we got a lender and then you have to put up money for the lender. So typically a $5,000 applica application fee. So you can see how kind of the costs escalate and then walking away with $30,000 negative, it hurts. Yeah. But the the seller was was actually pretty understanding so they they extended it quite a bit until i actually found uh, found the right lender and then it it was the longest due diligence period i ever done it was 6 months so we actually closed in september oh you closed on it yeah oh you yeah. continued with it okay okay cool yeah that's it just awesome, kept man. going okay that's every good. day yeah every <laughs> week was like a struggle like <laughs> you know what that's so, awesome okay so you closed on it so then then also as part of your closing costs you've got the land transfer you've got the legal costs yes you've so, got you've got all probably the well you talked about the lender fees and stuff like that so how did you so are like so you closed on it can can we talk a little bit about the financing like what was financing like 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 loan to value wise like what were they offering you I think on that one I got 72% loan to value and then I was able to actually get a conventional mortgage but what they did is they used so put it naturally these kind of buildings they go in a corporation because of because of investors and because of liability and such mm -hmm. uh, but then but then I needed to provide two properties as collateral. So I've used two of my other personal properties as collateral on it. And then somehow they, they pushed it through kind of during, during COVID. So it was, it's one of the best deals, but it took a lot to, to get it through. Like there was a vendor take back that was in, nice. in action for, for a little while. Okay. Right. Nice. Then, so, so like how much did you buy it for? It was 2.25 million. For, for what? What was it? That was units. 13 units. Uh, 10, 10 residential and then three commercial. Okay. And what was the play there? Are you converting anything or like what did you just renovate, get new, new leases? So, so this one is in Hamilton and then some of the rents were like $680. Mm -hmm. right? Which is Where like you can get versus 68. 14 to 1800, depending on maybe 2000, depending on where and, and what you know, number of bedrooms. Yeah, those are renting for sixteen fifty now. Nice, right? Okay. Reno fully renovated, and then the even the commercial units were well under well under market, so so we're able to to raise those as well. But I got so I talked to my property manager. He said in that building I got the worst tenant he's ever seen in his entire career. So that was a gift with the with the property. <laughs> he was he was an ex. So I don't want to scare anybody away from in, in investments, but he was an ex. He was a super in the building, and he was a normal guy. And then all of a sudden, something happened where he became just crazy, mm -hmm. right? In a malicious a malicious way. So so he started chasing people with baseball bat around the halls like uh, his neighbor upset him so he bashed in his door with a baseball bat he was on the third floor he started flooding his unit 
like every single week. So the water would come from his unit to the next oh, unit geez. and to the commercial unit. Like there was a barber with a very nice barber shop. Mm. See this brown water kind of leaking, right? Brown because it went through the building and it's he's like scratching cars in the parking lot. Wow. Right? It's mm-hmm. just that this kind of level that I wasn't used to, but uh, he didn't do it only once. He kept doing that for like every week. So how did you, did you get rid of him ultimately? Like, how did you do it? You know what? It took a lot to, to do that. We went to the landlord tenant board and and they Mm -hmm. actually refused us. Why? Which was insane. Why would they refuse you? They said there's just not enough to, there's just not enough to happen. We even had Hmm. tenant across the, across the call came in with his uh, paralegal because he was so sick of it. And then the paralegal got chased with the baseball bat. She was my witness Wow. at the LTB. Okay. So finally he went to jail. Okay. So, so that's, that's what it took. Did you have to go to jail to get the N11 sign? So he went to jail and then it was like a breath of fresh air. I mean, he was still not paying obviously any rent whatsoever yeah. during this whole time period, but we did, I'm happy to say we did get him out and then renovating his unit and then things will be great. But that was, you know what? It just, because it took so long, it, it definitely made my skin a little thicker when it comes to- Yeah, I, I bet. I mean, and I think like, I, again, I haven't gone through the process myself, but I think like you have to have like representation go to the actual jail and get a form signed because so you can take, I mean, depending on how, how much, how long they're in jail for but double check with the paralegal but did you have to go do that like did you have to go sign a form in the jail you know what the i I think we got all that i got the paralegal to 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 handle all that and then we had like periodic team meetings to figure out how this should be done just to Mm -hmm. not to skip one single step even right because Mm -hmm. it was so crazy and then during the process the commercial tenant rightfully so was threatening to leave and and such because clients are coming in and he's got like water dripping in the middle of his the middle of his business right so so yeah so definitely kind of crazy yeah i mean look you get the good and you get the bad right i mean the good the good is you probably created some wealth for yourself and have been able to do this where now you've got an opportunity for freedom that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And, but it comes with some bad, it comes with just a matter of, I think ultimately how, when it's over and even just during the process, how your mindset is throughout it. And so if it's just a learning experience and it's not the end of the world and you're like, you don't throw your, you don't throw your hands up and say, that's it, I'm done. But it's just like you said, it builds thicker skin and you just are that much more ready for the next time around. I was ready to sell that building every month for for quite a while mm-hmm. and get rid of it but did you somehow, re- did you do you know, a refi on it yet sorry did you do a refi on it you know what that's going to happen next year so okay so we've we've renovated i think half the units already and it's now it's an amazing building mm. right so so definitely like that one you don't want to sell it now <laughs> Probably no no way, no way that one's that one's sticking around Awesome. Awesome. So if you, if you had to go back, I mean, with what you know now, can I ask how long you've been doing real estate? Like how many years? Probably about 15 years or so. All right. So when you, if you know what you know now, what's the biggest piece of advice that you would tell yourself 15 years ago? You know what? When I was younger, I was a little bit more impatient, right? And, 
And then my my dad, on the other hand, is super patient, cool as a cucumber kind of guy all the time. I would say that tell myself to, and then maybe for you list for listeners as well. Like if you have a side to you that's a little odd, right? That doesn't necessarily fit with the model, embrace that side. Because really that impatient side, that's what led me to buy, 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 buy all these properties. And I know these. We're talking about these stories, which are grandiose, but there's so many amazing stories I have around real estate that maybe are not as interesting because they're just cool tenants paying rent and then just thanking us for, for living in a great place. But really seeing what is that kind of quality that you have by not necessarily seem like a fit and seeing how you can basically use it to your advantage, right? Which mine is not having as much patience, but then learning to work with it. And then that's what helped me kind of buy and strike when, when things were right. So instead of like on the first triplex, I, I bought it without a lot of tremendous amount of due diligence, but now I buy it, but then have kind of myself and a team do a lot of due diligence, but it's that kind of that instinct to go in and do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's great advice. So the next part of the podcast is the lightning round. So Mike, I'm going to ask you five questions that every single guest gets the same ones. You're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind in like 20 seconds or less. Ready? No, but go ahead. <laughs> Today's lightning round has been brought to you by midtermrentalproperties.ca. It is a new way to rent, make more cash flow, take back control over our investments and our portfolios using a different creative strategy and pivoting. So if you want to find out more, go to midtermrentalproperties.ca. All right. So number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? My, uh, I don't want to say, say rich dad or poor dad. I don't really have one to tell you the truth. I actually don't. I read them, but I don't have one single favorite one. Okay. What are you reading right now? I'm reading a book around high performance habits. I'm reading Ego is the Cool is the Way. I love that book. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm reading this one multifamily book, which I can't remember what, what, what the exact title is. All right. Awesome. Number two, non-podcast, non-real non estate specific. What is your favorite podcast? I would say uh, Ed Milet. Yeah, I love his Yeah, stuff. I really I really enjoy his podcast and then his kind of rawness and then kind of uh, he's he's really kind of connected mm -hmm. to and grounded I like that. Yeah. yeah, agreed. I I listen to his stuff too when I'm walking around getting my second workout of the day in <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> All right, number 3, what do you do for fun? You know what? Take like I like to walk my dog and then I like sitting in my backyard with a coffee and chilling and not doing too much. So, and then aside from that, going to the Caribbean when it's freezing here in Canada, mm -hmm. I love it. Amazing. How long do you go for? Trying to extend that usually like two weeks. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very when cool. I can, Very cool. but then doing it more frequently, right? So yeah. taking more of these kind of trips as we go along. Nice. Nice. All right. Number four, if you lost everything tomorrow, all of your real estate, your portfolio, your assets, your money, how would you start again? Uh, I would just, I would do what I do now. I, I'm not as worried about, okay, so let me rephrase that. I'm extremely worried about losing investor money, but my own money, I know I can make, make it back tenfold. Mm -hmm. And I think this, this journey is, uh, is just beginning and then investing in yourself that gives you that confidence that I would go into multifamily Ontario, just the same. Okay. All right. Very cool. And final question. 
if somebody has only $50,000, when I started this podcast, it was in 2017, so we went further. But if somebody has $50,000 today, it's still a good chunk of money. What do you think they should spend it on in order to get started? Themselves, definitely. Put that money and invest it into their education, into courses, into, I guess, a mentor, because that nobody can take away from you ever. Amazing. Awesome. Mike Beer, where can my listeners reach out and find out more? Yeah, best place is my website, mikebeer.ca. So we have a bunch of like case studies, a lot of blog and info around there, opportunities, all that stuff. Yeah, looking forward to, to connecting with, with folks. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and thanks for sharing your story. Thanks so much, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.